pastor was talking this morning about some the the details for arranging schedule orders and how there's red orange and yellow i'm colorblind they all kind of look the same to me which is dangerous at an intersection what color is that dear but i thought green might be easier but pastor requested i speak this morning and preach so if you would turn with me you know what if you don't mind i'm gonna do another off the cuff here pastor did you want me to report on the wednesday night still okay i'll i'll try to do this because i feel like it's a church-wide update and so here's what happened wednesday night and praise the lord i think the meeting went very well and was productive as the chinese proverb says a good beginning is the first half of success just since i already interpreted it of course ask others what they thought of it and correct me if i'm wrong to be optimistic there were about 50 people in attendance Thanks again to all who came and to all who are praying. The purpose of this meeting was to clarify the questions which are in need of addressing. We spent two hours of talk around these questions and I think some good fellowship as we sought to get to the bottom of what's really ailing us. We don't claim to be there yet, but we are making progress, though painful it may be at times. And if you'd like, the questions are available upon request and sound. And public apology to those who I said that Wednesday night, just email me and I'll get them to you. But I didn't tell you, email them to me and I'm gonna find myself engrossed in a whole bunch of stuff to do and I'm slow to get back. But those questions did get out. So they're still available as well as uh, Brother Bruce made that sound available for us. So just email me, and I should be able to just get it out with quicker turnaround time. Okay, so over 40 questions were submitted by at least 12 people. A plethora indeed. But we've discovered that there are primarily three central points or issues at the heart of these questions. With the exception, of course, of the relational issues which bring our attention to these three. <clears throat> Number one, the question of distinction of roles and responsibilities between pastors and deacons. Number two, the question of how exactly church discipline is to be conducted if the trespasser was either a pastor or a deacon. Number three, the question of what our music policy is or should be. I've done my best to succinctify these, and if you feel like, hey, I had a question that doesn't fit into one of those buckets, I'm totally open, so please let me know. There was one that I noticed, 
that had to do with how can all members be free to exercise their spiritual gifts in an organic fashion in this local assembly. I didn't think that really fit, but I thought I'd mention it. Okay, so please continue praying for your church as we discuss these matters together. The Lord would have us to be of one mind and unified as one body under his headship. Please consider being a part of our next meeting on... Drum roll, please. All right, sorry. I tried. October 18th. It's another Wednesday night. So this Wednesday... It's not this Wednesday. It's a week from this coming Wednesday. October 18th. Remember, this past Wednesday meeting sought cl to clarify. That's all we were doing. We're not trying to solve problems. We're just trying to clarify what are the issues, or excuse me, the questions. Clarify the questions. And thankfully, we got it. We did it. It's behind us. Now, the next meeting will address our answers to these questions. In other words, well, how do we? Or what is? Etc. So these are seeking to be unified in how we address these questions. And so we're going to talk about answers, proposed solutions. Hopefully, you have a sense of gravity about these matters. <laughs> I know I do. <clears throat> and I, I know it's shared. I know it's shared. So if you're visiting here and don't know what this is about, it's just something that we're going through right now. And you're welcome to lean in. The next meeting will address our answers to these questions. May we get clear with unity. The third meeting, so I just want to go one step further because there's one, two, three meetings planned. The third meeting is proposed to address what actions will we take to implement change in regarding, excuse me, in regards to remedying our present distress. In other words, now let's do something about it. All right, so before I let you go, or hang this up, and I was hoping to do this earlier so there could be a commercial between this announcement and, now let's open our Bibles too. But, here we go, live from the pulpit. This, I just want to affirm and encourage everybody, this is a good thing. Consider, if everything were all right, okay, perfect here, then nothing would be wrong. Have you ever heard the, the, the saying, there is no perfect church? And if there is, as soon as you go there, it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> now, they were talking to me, not you. I'm just quoting what I heard. So, if everything were right, then nothing would be wrong. But look at us. We are people, and we wear this thing called flesh. And we are, I don't want to say recovering sinners. We are sanctified. We are, we are saved. We were sinners, and we're through the process of sanctification seeking to shed that old baggage and walk more and more in closer conformity to the person, the living person 
of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father and who is through his indwelling Holy Spirit right here inside of me and inside of everyone who believes in him. So I want to affirm that this is a good thing. Let's view this as an opportunity to grow. Be in prayer. Be in the word. Be involved. Thank you. All right, that is that. I'm not going to talk about that. And I've never done this before. I usually try to prepare better, and I'm trying the, the more I go to do less paper and just bullet points because I need those sometimes because I'm getting older. I might forget. Where was I going with that? But in this case, I just have a lot of things to say. But I am going to be cognizant of the time, and may God bless our time together. So I'll start with prayer, and then we're going to go to the Word. And if you would go to the throne with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are ever-present. You are omniscient all-knowing, you're omnipresent, you're here, you're in India, in China, in Germany, in Mexico, all in every place, you inhabit eternity. You are way bigger than we are. That's why we worship you. We bow before you to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is the truth. And you've given us both his living person and the written record of what is your mind. And we entreat you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, through whom we come boldly to you and ask and know that we have the requests that we desired when we ask according to your will. So help us, God, in this moment that we call Sunday morning service or the preaching hour or whatever we think of it as. We pray that you would meet with us as we have come together as a church, as a body of believers, as individual lively stones who are built up upon the chief cornerstone. Purify us. Examine us. Lord Jesus, you with your fiery eyes as John saw you, as you held those stars and candlesticks in your hand and your woolly white hair, perhaps a symbol of your impeccable wisdom. We are like children, and if we're not, we ought to be. In our faith, in our obedience to you. So should a man love his wife as Christ loved the church, and so should a wife submit to her husband as the church is subject to Jesus in everything. And Lord, we just want to say here we are, and we're as naked before you with your piercing vision that sees our hearts. Look on us with mercy, for we need it. And thank you for your robe 
of righteousness that you clothe us with. We want to make our boast in you and not in ourselves. Seek your will, your face, your pleasure. And we thank you that you've made it not a rote perfunctory fulfillment of these laws and these steps or this, that, or the other, but through faith and trust in Jesus, believing your word, receiving your offer of grace. And as we have received, may we freely give. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 22, and hopefully, you know what, just for fun, hold your Bibles up. I'm going to count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and if I could even eight, have nine. Uh, okay, you could set them down for just a second while I set the rules for the game. If we could gamify this, and just to add a little more fun, and could there be a prize at the end? If there's somebody who wins more than once, they get a prize. And then please don't compete anymore. <laughs> and then the next person to win again. So we're going to go to Psalm 22 in, in what we call a sword drill or a race, a race to that place. And then if somebody could help me keep track and see who gets the prize. Because there's at least nine scriptures I want us to go to. And what's my time? I'm looking like i got to get my glasses on, but I'd say 25 minutes and I need to shut up. And I want to leave you at least five minutes. I might have to squeeze it to three or request we go into a little overtime, meaning anything past 12 sharp. So you'll help me be the judges at that time. I'll join. All right, <clears throat> Psalm 22, go. And no, I don't have a bookmarker in. To the chief musician upon Ijaleth, Shahar, a psalm of David. And if you know this psalm, you know it's one of the most vivid descriptions. One thousand years before God became a man, incarnated in the womb of a woman who never knew a man. A miracle. A strange design. Prophesied by Isaiah 750 years before that miraculous thing happened. It's one of the reasons... Now, I know faith surpasses reason in some regards, but the prophecy of the Bible is, is it not? Awesome. And here we have, my God, my God. Actually, we're going through this in a devotional style on Wednesday nights. The part two will be in two or three nights, maybe just for the boys. But on that first night, we jogged through the first half of this psalm. And I proposed a theory, and it is just a theory, but it's kind of cool to me to think. If we heard Jesus say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me while he's hanging on the cross? It's not beyond reason 
that we might, if we look at this through a couple different lenses and you have to switch to Hebrew and then back to English to see it, well, sometimes throw your Greek lens in there. So these are theories that come from these studied people, but I, I don't, I almost hesitate to say all that. But if you'll remember with me when Jesus said, it is finished. We are told through the historians who've sifted through extant papyri, which means the rubble of existing documents that, it, that was there in the Roman Empire during the days of Jesus, they saw this tetelestai word that he said scribbled at the bottom of notes of exchange. In, in other words, bill cleared, paid in full in our modern terms. It is finished. Loud he cried. Oh, what love for me he died. And so I'll just, I'll try not to rehash the Wednesday night go through, but we see him mocked, hanging on the tree, not even considered a man, but a worm and despised by men. He saved others. Let him save himself. Or it's verse 8. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let God deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Mockery. And he says, but you are the one who took me from my mother's womb, and since I was on mommy's breasts, I've been trusting in you. These are the words of of the incarnate Son of God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. And we acted it out. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round 13. They gaped on me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. This is scary. And we got a little girl to be the deer. Because that's what Aijaleth means. And Shahar means black darkness. The deer of the morning. And it's that part of the morning that isn't light yet. It's the darkest part. And the deer is out. And the deer is hunted. And the deer is being surrounded. And the deer is threatened and the deer is cornered. That's what's happening. This is poetry at its best. And then it plays out in history as the Jews were the people and the Gentiles were the depicted animals in this. And they conspire together as Psalm 2 shows to out with him, the Lord Jesus, the, the Lord's dear anointed one. And we see as we go through the dogs in 16 have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands.
And should we not think of that? There's that verse, and I forget. Somebody, I'm sure, could help me where it says, My name is written on his hands. That's from the song, but it comes from a Bible verse that says, He's inscribed us on the palm of his hand, something like that. Shout it out if you know it. It's okay, I'll go home and do my homework, thanks. But, wow, they pierced my hands and my feet. And we know, why? For you, for me, for the sins of the whole world. He came to take away the sins of the world, and in him is no sin. Phenomenal. How'd he do that? Is this a trick? Is it magic? It is grace. It's in God's divine wisdom how he balances justice and mercy. So gentle, like the dew on the grass. Thy gentleness hath made me great, said David. He knew what a sinner he was. He knew he doesn't deserve as I've heard somebody else say, I'm nothing but a dirt bag with wind in me. Think of that from Genesis. I'm nothing but a dirt bag with wind in me. And he blew. He made him from the dust of the earth, blew into his nostrils the breath of life. Just in case anybody doesn't get that. I'm a dirt bag with air in me. Anything better than hell is way more than I deserve. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can tell or count all of my bones. They're sticking out, gawking. They're, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them. Hey, I want that tunic. That one's special. You see it's woven from top to bottom, no seams. That is cool. I want that one. Come on, six. Give me a six. All right, Joe, you're left with the sandals. And then, I don't know if they stunk or not. And I don't want to get into that. But John said, and this is no part of stinky or not, he said, I am not worthy to loose his sandals. I'm not worthy to touch his shoes. I'm not worthy to carry him. Hey, I could be a water boy on the team. I can't even be a shoe bearer on Jesus. I'm not worthy. And what did Jesus say of John? Greatest prophet ever. They part my garments among them. They cast lots upon my clothing. They don't care about me. They just want what they can get out of my lost and found stuff. That's probably a bad way to say it, but you get my point. They're just looking for some tangible thing. But God, but Lord, but Father, be not thou far from me, O Lord, Yahweh, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling. My darling, my precious one. A reference to his soul. Because it's the only one I've got. 
the essence of who I am. Protect me. Don't let me go to the hands of the enemy, to the destruction, to the will of those who hate me. Save me from the lion's mouth. The end. Close your Bibles, please. And that's the end of the first half, I propose, of Psalm 22. And we'll start on the second half this Wednesday night. And I love this psalm. Because I believe what happens in this psalm is that the shahar darkness... Is met by the sun coming up over the hills and glorious light comes shining forth and wonderful things spill out like blessings gushing forth from this curse a curse he became for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that's what Jesus did for me. What he suffered. Is there a cross up there? I hesitate to do this, but sooner or later, I'm going to ask, uh, never mind. You mean, you liang, ma fan ni men, bu shi xian zai, bie xian zai zhang qi lai. Ni dang wu fan zhong ba. Chu qi. Now, what I did was I gave them some cues. And I promise I will interpret later. Because, Anyway, so, thank you. Have you ever in, appreciated a prop? Okay. So what I wanted to say is, I wanted to point it across. I'll point at that one. What Jesus suffered, I propose, it's not in the Bible exactly this way, but see if you agree with the nutshell, condensed summary. What Jesus Christ, the Son of God, experienced at the hands of sinful men is what I deserve to suffer at the hands of a holy God. Would you concur? Your conscience is doing this or this right now, probably. I, I put that forth. I presume that everybody would agree. All right, I want us to go, excuse me, to Romans 14. Ready, set, go. Who did that? You may not beat me. All right, I'm teasing. You better know that. Um, who said that? Was that Raya? Why, it's my daughter. <laughs> All right, thank you, Jesse. All right, and I'm not going to ask her to read this because it's the whole chapter. But for time's sake, and oh, I better fly. 
All right, him that is weak receive, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believes one thing, one believes another. I trust you're familiar with this passage. And so different people are persuaded different ways. And we are commanded in this passage to make room for each other and make allowance for each other. And he's even going to say, chapter 15, verse 1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. In other words, I'm stronger than you, but since you're weak, I'm going to make, I'm going to defer to your preference. I rather would have said, I'm weak and you're strong, so please. It's actually telling you, if you're the stronger person and Yusef is weak, defer to him. And please eat your sausage and bacon at home when it's breakfast time at the synagogue church. Because that, Yusef has some issues with that. And not only him, but about six or eight others. And so, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. In other words, it's okay to have some diversity in order to preserve our unity in the most important things. Verse 6, he that regards the day regards it to the Lord. He that regards not the day, I don't care if it's Sunday, I'm going to feed my animals. Please don't judge me for it and say I'm breaking the Lord's Sabbath. For example, you make your own call on some of these things, in other words. He who eats, eats to the Lord he, and gives God thanks. He that eats not, chooses to fast or eat no bacon. It's to the Lord that he makes that choice, and he still gives God thanks. For none of us live to himself, and no man dies to himself. Whether we live, therefore, or die... Verse 8, for whether we live, we live to the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Please hone in. Verse 9, to this end, for this cause, to this end, for this purpose, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord that he might be Lord, that he might be Lord, both of the dead people and of the living. In other words, by virtue of his death and resurrection, he has property rights to every single person. And I will reference for this John 5. One, two, three, go. John 5. Okay, thank you, you won, Brother Nathaniel, thank you. And now, um, if you would want to read loud and clear, well, for the sake of recording, I'll, I'll do it. Um, Jesus answered and said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever the Father does, these also the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. 
For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment to the Son. Why? That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father who sent him. Jesus is Lord of all. He is the judge. But why, Paul asks, verse 10 of 14 Romans, but why dost thou judge thy brother? After he just said, to this end Christ died that he might be Lord of both dead and living, but why do you judge? your brother why do you set it not your brother for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of christ as it is written as i live saith the lord every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to god so then every one of us you me you him her every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but rather judge this, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way or dig a hole for him to fall into or set something kind of trap for him to get tripped up in or create an occasion for him to sin. And I'm going to skip down, and this was about meat, and he used meat and things we eat and drink, or, you know, as, a, as an example. So look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not, in other words, the issue is not meat and drink. The issue is not the issue. There's a greater issue at stake. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things, say it again please, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. You know where I want to turn my attention to? Serving God in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For if I do that, I'm serving Christ and I'll be accepted to God and approved of men. And if you and I do this together, we will be, oh, we can bank on it. And if God says, how'd you get that idea? I looked at the apostle, the one who represents your mind and your will, Paul. He said, oh yeah, I did send Paul. Oh, yeah, that is my inspire. Okay, you're good to go. I'm teasing a little. Of course God approves of his own way and won't question us for following his word. Let us, therefore, follow things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. I'm peeking at that clock. It's five till, and I know I ain't going to make it, and I'm going to request 
your patience, but I want you to know I'm going as fast as I can. For meat, destroy not the work of God. And I'm going to skip ahead to verse chapter 15. Whatsoever things were written, because all this keeps going until the end of verse 6. Whatever things were written before are written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now, ding, 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 the God of patience and consolation grant you, saints at Rome, and is it not applicable for us today, saints at Fellowship Baptist Church in South Bend, Indiana, 46619 uh, in America, on the continent, planet Earth, all right, sorry. Now the God of patience and consolation grant, may he grant us to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that we may with, here's the goal, here's the goal, here's the goal, here's where he's been going from chapter 14, verse 1 till right now, that we may with one mind and one mouth glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, sorry, it goes to verse 7. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Hallelujah. It is finished. We stand before him blameless, impeccable, no spots or wrinkles. We wear the righteousness of Christ. We are accepted in the beloved. And that's how I'm to open these arms to hug you. All right. Not all of you, right? Or is it actually, to be more biblical, a kiss of charity? All right, I'm not getting into that. But anyway, receive one another. That's what we're talking about. Now, I say all this to prepare us for the subject of church discipline. And I'm going to be very, as, as very brief as I can. But this subject came out, you notice it's question number two in our big three questions. And I don't want to ignore the elephant in the room, as it were. And I just want to remind us, myself not excluded in any way, that church discipline has three goals. Number one, church purity purity of the church, because it's like leaven. It affects the whole lump of bread. If there is sin, we need to deal with it. Number two, it's the sanctification of the one who made the trespass. And as Jesus said, if your brother repent, then you have gained your brother. Bam! That's the goal. The goal is not anything else. And the goal of church Discipline is, is not to get my way. That's, those are three things. There's, there's another thing that um, has to do with the law, that it can't be legislated. Because human hearts are way more living than that i don't i don't know how else to say it but just like you can't make somebody believe something they don't really believe you can't do it 
you can't make somebody be pleasing to you if in no way, if, if you're already predisposed in some way. All right, so now I just want us to remember, those are the, you know, Matthew 18 things. We have three steps. Go. We're going to talk more about that later, so I'll put it off. But in Galatians, Paul says, and I'm going to have a handout. Uh, in about five minutes, hopefully, I'm going to hand a handout out. Handout a handout. And hope to, oh, I'm glad I'm fumbling so, because we're going to go to Galatians chapter 6. Oh, Jesse picked up on this. Be careful. Galatians 6. Ready? Hatch you. Go. Galatians 6. Was that cheating on my part? Done? Thank you. Oh, no, I'm so embarrassed. But now I know that's Rachel. So this is Lydia. Thank you, Lydia. That was Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, if a man... Now, it doesn't specify which man, so I think it could be any man. So I'm going to speak to you as if it's... Hmm, could I be so prejudiced as to say, it's me. If I be overtaken in a fault, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Or if it is you, this is coaching me on how to approach the situation. The goal is not to humiliate. The goal is not to uh, ostracize. The goal is not to... The goal is to win my brother. The goal is that this brother be restored. And if he fell, because he's a man, remember, so am I. So am I. And so I must, with meekness. Meekness is power under control like a mighty man with bulging muscles right after he yeah, lifts up a bus, you know, and then steps out of the way, and he turns around and grabs his infant baby. He's got power to crush, but will he? He'll be gentle and meek like David said. Your gentleness has made me great. God's got great power, but he deals with us so gently, doesn't he? Okay, <clears throat> and for time's sake, I'm just going to jog through these and, and trust that you are familiar with the references or I could email them to you because I don't want to be disrespectful of anyone's time. You'll remember in Luke 22, so no prizes for the sword drills, I guess. Luke 22 after reminding Jesus, reminding his disciples that he, you know, who's greater, the guy sitting at the table or the guy bringing him the food? Who's greater? And of course, the answer is the guy sitting at the table. And in that case, it wasn't he's at a restaurant, and well, of course, the guy's getting paid to bring him the food. They could be equals. 
But there, it was, there's a servant and a master. Which one's greater? And he says, but I am among you as one who serves. And he goes on in that context to tell Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. And I have prayed for you. And when you are restored, strengthen your brethren. <laughs> Can you imagine the pain, the humiliation that Peter felt after that cock crew the third time and he realizes he told me I would. He told me I would. I said, no, I'll go to death with you. And he says, no, you won't. You'll be like a coward and you'll run off with the rest of them. I'm just telling you. Cock-a-doodle-doo. I'm telling you, I don't know him. Do-do-do-do-do. And those memories flood in, and maybe the last three years of ministry with Jesus ashamed. He fell. What seeds of hope were planted by the master teacher, by the lover of our souls? Man, this verse has comforted me a time or two when I fell, and I felt like, Will God accept me again? I'm so bad and ruined and dirty and filthy and there's nothing I can do to wash away my sins. Oh, I'm going to 1 John 1, 9 again, though. Hallelujah. There it is. Still says the same thing. God, thank you. So God is there. And he says, Peter, you're going to fail. You're going to fall. You're, and, and there's this satanic element to it, too. To sift him, and when you are restored, a restoration like a broken arm out of joint. Oh man, this last summer I saw my son's arm looking funky like it shouldn't. It's like, oh my, praise God, we could go to the hospital and reset that thing. That's what restore means, that's the same word. Put back into the right proper place. And when you are restored, Peter, strengthen your brethren. In other words, your story, your experience is going to bring blessing and ministry to others. Think of Mark, John Mark. You're out of here. You're off the team. Go home. Fine. Go see mom or grandma or whoever it was. You got to see. We're in the fight. We're in the thick of the battle. We're in the trenches. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. And he's, he's bailing us. Later, you know the, the conflict and John Mark, at the end of Paul's life, he says, and bring, and bring my cloak. I'm cold. Bring the scriptures. I love the word of God. It's meat to my soul. Bring the parchments. And bring Mark. Because he's profitable to me in the ministry. What was broken has been mended. God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He walks upon, how's that verse go? Anybody know that poem? 
He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. I'm sorry, I forget the rest of it. But who said that? I want to. <laughs> God works in mysterious ways. And sometimes we want him to work right now. I know I did. When I was getting married, I'm like, should I marry this girl or not? I don't want to make a mistake. God, wouldn't you just speak to me from heaven? I want to hear from you. And that's a fun story to tell how he did. But it wasn't in the way I was expecting. Just like, peel heaven and say, yes. There was another pastor who said, what a dummy. She's a gem. You know, like it doesn't take a, you know, you could have a box of rocks and should be able to figure that out. Anyway, where am I? See, restore your brethren. Somebody will have to help me. <laughs> There's just a breach in the sermon today. All right, 2 Corinthians 2. Paul says, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. The whole context, oh, that whole letter, a painful process where the apostle Paul has to defend his apostleship to his own children whom he begat through the gospel. I know you're listening to these fancy, highfalutin teachers, but would you listen to me, your father? And there was sin, gross sin, obvious sin, immorality. All right, I can't help but go there. Second Corinthians, and if you want to race, one, two, three, second Corinthians three, go. Second Corinthians three. Done. And verse four. Am I wrong? Ah, it was chapter two, I'm sorry. All right. Somebody beat me. <laughs> All right. 2, 5 through 11. That's the bigger context. Whoa. And he basically said, um, have you ever felt embarrassed? Okay. Verse 10. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For I forgave in... For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes I forgave it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. In other words, forgiveness? Oh yeah, you got it. If you did it, I did it too. I'm on board with you because we know Satan's tricks, his ploys, and they are dangerous they he wants to set a wedge between us and we are not ignoramuses about that we are in the know forgiven lest satan you know very very much in harmony with let not the sun go down upon your wrath we are not ignorant of satan's devices forgiveness over bitterness is key. It is Christ-like to be sinned against and forgive. Would you agree? When did he say those words? Ding, Father. Ding, forgive them. 
Ding, for they know not. Ding, what they do. It is Christ-like to be sinned against. And he reprimands the church. You're going to court. Wouldn't you rather just be wronged? <laughs> and forgive? <laughs> now, I'm not going to go deep into that. There's, it's still always right to deal with wrongs. But do it in a God-honoring way. That's my point. And church discipline, as we consider it, the purpose is to restore, not to excommunicate. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6, which is, we're already right here. Such trust we have through God. Um, no, I'm just going to read the end of verse 6. Though I was in conversation with somebody yesterday on this very topic, and I love it. It wasn't what I'm about to point out, though. But looky, there it is. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And this is a grand contrast of the Old Testament and the New. One is, you know, like fingernails on the chalkboard, graven into stone, the law, carved letters. And he says, that's a picture of our stony hearts and it testifies against us it does not support my cause it condemns me that's the book of galatians and shall we beginning in the spirit think that we're going to be made perfect through keeping the law i'm and i stand in doubt of you said paul to the Galatians. We cannot. And I want to be as impartial as I can. And I'm confessing a little something that I saw something in the Constitution, and I did share it, that made me wonder, is that biblical? I'm just being honest with you and transparent. Or... Could that be written better? Maybe that's a better way of saying it. But I don't want to think that a better version of a paper copy of men's words can hold anything to this. And if it's a matter of the letter of the law or the spirit of Christ, which do you think I'm going to run to? Which do I hope you will run to? And that's, you know, what is the wheat to the chaff? One is weighty and has substance, and the other is of a temporal nature. Um, there were the copies that I requested to be handed out, and for time's sake, it is quarter after and if you would be happy, if anybody feels like you need to go for time's sake, don't think you'll offend me. But as a process, hopefully, of applying these things, I want to hand out these papers and just give you about three minutes if there's anything top of mind. And I wanted to share a little backstory back with you about myself. Hopefully, I don't cry. If I do, I don't care.
I was saved when I was almost 17 years old, so 16 and a half. I came from a broken home. I felt like a backwards person. I was full of emptiness and confusion. I was hungry for love and full of rage. And I was very confused. And what was my worldview? Tangled. I got it from TV, movies, rock and roll. I'm all over the place. Lots of things could push my buttons and get me happy or sad. I had no order, rhyme, or reason. By the grace of God, somebody was concerned for me. And they looked at that young man and they thought, Whew, if he doesn't know Jesus soon, something bad might happen to him. And that, that individual took me to a place where I could hear the gospel of Jesus. And you know what happened? It was like when they opened that good book and started explaining what it means to me, it was like opening a black curtain in a room and letting the light flood in. And as they sewed like a needle in cloth, point by point, the simplicity of the gospel, God created man, man sinned against God, the wages of sin is death. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. The wages of sin is death. Christ died to pay for your sins and mine. Would you like to receive his gift? I was staggered at the offer. As he talked about sin, I know I'm a sinner. But that love, that forgiveness, that blanket acceptance, those promises for me? Could it be? And he said, this fella said to me, would you agree that if, if I'm offering you a gift, what do you need to do to receive it? And you know the answer. Reach out and take it. He said, would you agree that if you don't, it's equal to rejecting it, refusing? And then is it yours if you refuse and reject? It sunk in. And my young brain, you know what I did next? I felt confronted by God himself. Like, you want it? I bowed my head and thanked God for his gift and asked Jesus to save me. And hallelujah, he did. Now, fast forward, I'm dealing with, I'm 20-something. Let's see, I would have been maybe 25-ish. And I'm talking to my dad and I say, Dad? What happened? And with zero bad talk about my mom, he told me what happened as best he could. And could you imagine the brokenness? I was like a little baby. Or not, little babies are way better than me. Just give them milk and they're fine. <laughs> I'm a sobbing mess. And I started to come to terms with 
And I heard some really good sermons on forgiveness. And I realized, oh, a lot of this baggage is just simple. Mom's a sinner. Dad's a sinner. They needed Christ. They didn't have Christ in their marriage. And, and I'm happy to go blab, blab, blab about the grace of God that has been miraculous in my family. And they're all saved now. Wow. And if I told you some of the dark stories and the skeletons in the closet. But God did something in me when I could say, that's the sin. And it was healing. I could say, that's what she did. And that's how it hurt me. And I'm going to write it down and I'm going to forgive her. And I'm going to talk to her with zero you know, desire for vengeance. And it's so easy. You, uh, you mean you, Leon? When they told me, wait a minute, where am I in this story? No, when I, when I heard and learned and understood and connected the dots, you know, forgive as you are forgiven. For Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, forgive them. In other words, why does God forgive me? Because of the nails that Jesus took for me. Couldn't you have carried that in a more dramatic way? You know? All right, thank you, Jed. Um, even down by the piano or, or anywhere you think you choose. To see my parents' sin as nailed to the cross. Except you forgive your brother, Jesus said. Your heavenly Father will not forgive you either. Now, I believe I'd be happy to have any conversation with anybody about that. My view is, if I've partaken of this, we're all hands off. I'm not seeking to point my finger at my mom and dad and say, yeah, I'll take God's forgiveness, but give them his justice. And so, in preface to that, I gave you a tough job, huh? Could you nail it to that organ, please? Without scratching it. I'm joking, but just lean it. It can lean. Yeah, thanks, buddy. So, if you would take, just, just a minute, or take it home, the purpose, and I wish I had a copy of it myself to, to walk us through, but I just want to encourage us all. If there has been a sin committed, thank you, write it down, objectify it. You know, if I don't tell somebody something, you know what it does in my mind? I think of a laundromat where you see the same towel or the same socks going round and round and round, but when I talk about it, in, in a proper setting, huh, I got it off my chest, and now we can deal with it. Look, it's just that thing in black and white. That's what's ailing me. And then it's, it kind of helps keep it in its place. And then, do we go through the steps properly? And so, may we deal with sin God's way. And there is a, a verse in Proverbs 26 that says... And if we don't, because if I think you have committed a wrong against me and I don't talk to you about it and I talk to somebody else about it, 
Um, no, the, actually, the whole latter half, I would propose, a lot of the latter half of Proverbs 26 is dealing with this. But where is the one that I had in mind? Because I had the wrong reference, maybe. But, okay, verse 22. The words of a talebearer are as wounds. And they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. And it colors the other person's perception of the person I was talking about before they have had a chance to talk about it in my presence, so I hear both sides. And I can tell you nothing has highlighted the importance of this to me, like being the father by God's grace, and I, I shouldn't say that, I should say the dad of 11 kids. Can you believe me if I tell you that it's probably every single day for the last 18 years that I've dealt with something, he said, she said, he did. And I said, all right. And, I, and I'm just now feel like, I know what to do. Go get your brother and bring him here. <laughs> Otherwise, I get a half and I'm, my temperature goes up. And I'm on the hot trail to find that. I just can't find what I need quick enough to get ready to deal with this. I am weak. It's taken me 18 years to feel like I'm just starting to get to trained to handle this rightly. So do we condemn without hearing the accused? The Romans said, this is a cornerstone of our law. We don't do it, so let's have a fair trial. That's why Paul did it. That's what has made the Roman Republic great. And that Roman law transferred to England. And after England, we've inherited it. Some have that theory. I think it's pretty cool. Especially when you think about the long-term prophecies in Daniel that talk about the Roman Republic. But it's a Jewish law as well. Deuteronomy 19.15 says... You hear things in the presence of witnesses, two or three. And after you take step number one, number one, objectify the problem. Please write it down. And I don't just say this about our church issues that we are going through in a public fashion. If we can't settle it privately, we will settle it publicly. I believe that that's the trajectory we're on. And that is okay if it need be. But need it be what's step one? In my opinion, and my encouragement to us, based on Matthew 18 and Matthew 5, which I've, I've spelled out here if I haven't, you know, the references are there. What is my brother's trespass against me? Write it down in the Bible reference why that is a sin. Because that's the most is it not the heart of the issue? Sin separates me from God. And now it puts a barrier between me and my brother or my sister. And in this body, we have a fragment. We have a fragment between us. And then is the Spirit of God flowing freely through the whole body? Or 
I've got maybe some fungus growing on my pinky toenail. Or worse, I have a gouge in the back of my head or something. Anyway, what does my brother have against me? That's another issue. And if I know it, it's my responsibility. Either way, could we own it? I, whatever I can own, own as much of it as I can. And if each one of us does this, could we now, after the service, have a time of just seeking out whoever is on your list? Could you write it down? Now, I'm going to shut up for just 60 seconds. If God has brought anybody to mind, please write it down. And the offense, if you have time in 60 seconds to write the reference as well, great. And then I want to address two and three, and I think I can be done in 90 seconds. Thank you for your patience. I feel like I way overpromised up front because I talked about 12 o'clock sharp. But this time, this time I think I really mean it. 90 seconds. And the theme, hopefully, is dealing with sin God's way. That's my heart, my passion, my burden. If I could say it that way, is oh, that we deal with sin God's way. Because there is a man's way, and it is earthly, it is sensual. It is earthly, it is sensual, it is devilish. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. No contaminants. And Paul says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. That is a restraint, straight up. Filter on my lips. Nothing gets out except that which is good. I do not profess to be perfect at this. And if you see me fail, fall, or stumble, stutter, call me on it, please. Please, for Christ's sake, because he bought me with his blood and he wants me to be perfect like he is perfect. And may I have the same grace in your life as a brother. As a brother. So hopefully that 60 seconds has passed. We've got something. We've got someone. And now number two, address the person about it. And I won't jog through the verse. But it's there. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. We can look at it. Number one, one on one. Did I do it? And, and if they repented, <gasps> hallelujah. And I bet we're actually, you know, when I was a kid in grade school, public school, granted, but the kids who would get in a fight on the first day of school ended up being best buds. Strange how that works. Anyway, if one-on-one -on -one doesn't work, you get one or two more people and go seek that individual. One-on-one, -on -one, don't leave this paper until you've done it. Please, for Christ's sake, obey Jesus' words. And I believe there might be evidence that those kinds of things have happened and wounds have been incurred. I'm not saying that's true. I'm suspicious that it might be true. Address one on one, then two or three on one. Now, if that fails, I'm not going to park here for long. 
Jesus covers this. You bring the matter to the whole assembly. How do we do that? Come on October 18th. We're going to talk about it, right? But those are the steps. And then record the results. You know, because Jesus' name and reputation is at stake, isn't it? He gave us the playbook. Can we trust it? Can we trust him? Can we obey him? And so here are the results. Did they repent? Yes or no? If yes, woo! If no, got to go to step two. Keep going. Keep working through it. B, did I forgive? I was wronged. In a sense, I have a right to be upset. Nah. I might like to finish that another time if I agree with what I just said or not. Did I forgive? I'm obligated as a servant of Jesus to forgive. Are we over it? He said, that's true. I said, I forgive you. And we shook, we hugged, we cried, we prayed. Can we do that? And if we can't pray with an arm around each other, is there not something grievously broken? Does anything else need to be addressed? You know, and just keep this, please, and use it, and journal what's happening. Track progress. Now, I need at least, I would like to have as many volunteers as possible. You could write your name at the top if you want, because I want to collect as many as I can who are willing. Now, that could be embarrassing, I know. And even, we could even hand bulletins in. But what I want to do is collect these. And, and I can't do it because, Toby, did we bring a hammer? Did we bring a nail? Thank you. So what I told them was, not now, in five minutes, get up, go out, get the cross, bring it in. When I say, <laughs> that's the translation I promised. So may God help us grieve over our brother's sin and pray that God would restore him or restore her that we may be healed. You are wrong. I am right. I judge you is not what we're taught in Romans 15, 14, 15, but has anyone committed a wrong? Even as God forgave you, for Christ's sake, you do the same. For Jesus' sake, forgive. And I skipped the Philippians passage, but he says, hey, I beseech this one and that one that they get it straight. Get over it. Be of one mind. So receive one another. Let those who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Do it right. Do right. And so we trust God to help us to do right in this matter. And let our faith be manifest in our works. I say I believe 
Am I practicing obedience to Jesus in the way he teaches me to handle sin in relationships? I trust in God, the Holy Spirit bearing me witness. This is a good thing we're going through. I thank God. What a privilege to be a part of it. We're just sinners. We just need to grow and be mature like Jesus. And it's not easy because we're people and we got sensitivities and preferences. And some of us maybe know better than others know, or at least we think we do, but we're called to love. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them both. And let not the brother of low degree get despised in our assembly because he don't have a tie or shiny shoes, etc. We are called one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, spiritual, baptized into Jesus Christ. His death is ours. His death is mine, his resurrection. Hallelujah. We are, my God is reconciled. And we share that. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask Pastor, I guess, to close our service. I'll, I'll pray. But just as an encouragement, and, and I, I should end this with that quote from Colossians. It is beautiful to me, and, and to, to you, I'm sure. Colossians, I know I would have lost this sword drill, man. You being dead. In your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened together with Jesus, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Perhaps a reference to the Old Testament law 
God's got us dead to rights. And who died on that cross? God did. God the Son. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that witnessed against us, which was contrary to us. It's against my nature. I can't obey the law. I've got sin running rampant in me until I'm born again. And he took it out of the way. He took the law out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And I'm not suggesting that we just forget about this stuff. If you've got a wrong or you've been wronged, I'm not suggesting that we just forget about it, brush it under the rug, and move on and say, well, Jesus paid for that. Jesus teaches us to reckon it, consider it to be just like that, but address your brother. Forgiveness is pre-granted in a sense. But talk to him for his sake or for her sake. And again, let me broaden this because some of you may feel like, Man, what's going on in that church? I don't know. But you know what? It might be a boy or a girl who has something against your mom or dad. It might, that's, that was my case long ago. It could be a sibling against another sibling. Bitterness. Don't let it grow. It divides. It hinders the flow of love. God is love. And he wants to flow. That's what the church meeting is all about. There's a, something special about his presence in our midst when we gather together. And if we have a gaping wound, we need to be healed. And he teaches us how. Through the cross work of Christ and the relationships that we have, may we deal with it God's way. Look at that paper. Have you done it? Are you clear conscience? Or is there something that you need to address? Please do. For Christ's sake, for your sake. For the sake of that brother or sister who might have offended you and for the sake of the whole body here. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are perfect as well as perfectly privy to each of our consciences in our personal lives. There's nothing about us you don't know. May we bow before you in worship and walk before you humbly and obediently with confidence in you, not worrying about what others think of me, but what you think of me for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen.